In a preaching school, you know, I often go back to my days in preaching school for illustrations, but in preaching school, we had these things called practicums. Uh, maybe if you're in college, you've had these as well, but they're, you know, they're basically classes that they don't dedicate, you know, a whole semester to, but they might be a, a Saturday long class uh, based on this or that. And uh, again, they just don't have the time to offer it in a whole uh, maybe eight weeks. And so they give it to you sort of uh, as a one shot, a one shot, an eight hour day class. And, and we had some that, you know, helped us uh, on taxes and money management. We had some on strategies for church growth. Uh, we had one on leadership or project management and, uh, and counseling. But there was one that we had that kind of stood out to me because it was a little strange, a little odd. It was sort of an impromptu practicum that we had, but it was on thank you cards. Thank you cards. Uh, uh, a lot of the students at first thought it was sort of a joke, you know, that, that we were going to take time to sit down and uh, learn how to write a proper thank you note. But it wasn't. And actually, throughout that class that we were given, uh, we were instructed on, there was a lot of thanks that was being stressed to us. You know, when we're in that position of uh, going to a preaching school for a couple of years, we can't have a job, we can't have a way to support our families. And so we are being supported by uh, churches, by individual Christians throughout the United States. And we had to write monthly newsletters to those individuals. Uh, every month we had to, and if we didn't, you know, they would hold back our support until we did that. And so we had to be trained uh, how to be thankful. Right? And thinking back on it, you know, maybe it wouldn't be such a bad idea if we all had to have this practicum in life, you know, when we're in high school or whatnot, uh, to learn how to be thankful. You know, because here we find ourselves in that time of year uh, of being thankful. We're reminded of that, of being thankful, and then, of course, of giving. And we often ask ourselves during this time of year, what are we thankful for? You know, we'll sit around the dining room table and we'll go around and say, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? And, and often, uh, you know, we, this is also a time of year that we need to remind ourselves that uh, this isn't just a seasonal effort, right? That we need to be thankful individuals all year long. Right? Of all people, of all time, we are by far the most blessed in this life. Right? You think back of the days of Jesus or even further back of the, the kings of Israel, right? You think about those times, the kings of those days are about as rich as the average person is today. Think back Solomon and all his glory didn't have it as good as you and I, right? We think of the running water that we have today and the electricity, the ability to control the, the temperatures in a room. They didn't have that. They didn't have the ability to get into a vehicle and drive from one end of town to the other. They didn't have the ability to go down to the local restaurant and have a, a bite to eat. Right? They probably had to capture and kill and process what they were going to eat. They didn't have the ability to get on a plane and fly somewhere uh, that might take us only a couple hours, but it would take them a whole lifetime to travel. But with these blessings that we have today comes you know, great responsibility. And that, of course, is Thanksgiving. But do we acknowledge our thankfulness that we have? Do we express our thankfulness? Of course, you're probably very familiar a passage that we often will quote. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 6, where the Apostle Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you remember what Paul says in that passage? He says, pray with thanksgiving. 
Right? Basically, what he's telling us there is we need to saturate our prayers with thanks. I'm thankful for Brother Jason's uh, prayer this morning because, you know, I was kind of counting the, the number of times he said thanks. And there was a multiple multiplicity of times that he said thanks in his in his prayer. Right. We, we need balance in our prayers. We need to saturate our prayers with thanks. We can't just be people who say, God, help me. God, I need this. But we need to be people who say thanks. Thank you. There's that balance involved. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to consider many things in this life that we should be thankful for that maybe we don't necessarily think of it from time to time. And, and the text we're going to use is Psalm 107. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to Psalm 107. Uh, that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're not going to read the whole thing, uh, but we're going to notice a few points from there. Uh, this is going to be a two-part series, and so we're going to look at the first four points this morning and this afternoon. Uh, when we return at 6 p.m., we're going to look at the final five. And so that'll be a challenge for you when you go home, uh, when you come back to worship this Lord's Day. Uh, maybe read Psalm 107 in between services and see if you can pick out some of those other great blessings that we have to be thankful for. There are a number of things that this psalmist tells us that we should give thanks for. And just let me give you a quick backdrop to this psalm. We don't know who wrote this psalm. Uh, obviously, David wrote uh, almost half of the psalms, almost half of the 150. Uh, but we don't know this, who wrote this one. Uh, it can't be David because of uh, what's taking place in this psalm. We believe that this is a psalm written during the time of uh, exile as, uh, out of Babylonian captivity, which happened way after David. So some sort of put it in the timeline of Ezra. You know, maybe Ezra that we're studying on Wednesday nights wrote this psalm. Again, we just don't know. And this psalm, you might notice as well, doesn't have a subscript. Um, if you turn over to Psalm 108, you can notice uh, right before the psalm begins, it'll say something to the effect of a song, a psalm of David. This is a subscript. It's not scripture, but it's ancient. It's old, and it helps us point to maybe what this psalm is all about or who wrote that. Well, again, Psalm 107 doesn't have that. If you look at Psalm 105, 106, and 107 as sort of a series, uh, you're going to notice that it's referred to sort of as a trilogy, a trilogy of thanksgiving. Well, why is that? Because each one of the psalms starts the very same way. It starts, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Psalm 105 is going to talk about that as well, uh, beginning with Abraham and all the way to their exile out of Egypt. Psalm 106 is going to begin the same way, but it's going to start with Israel's sins in the wilderness and uh, they're, they're traveling into the promised land. But here we get to Psalm 107. Again, it's going to begin, oh, give thanks to the Lord. But now it's going to talk about their redemption out of exile, out of Babylonian captivity. And so we're going to notice again in this psalm, this psalm uh, of the three has the most uh, use of the word thanks. And we're going to notice why it's quite saturated with thanks to God. So let's notice this first one. Our first point this morning, give thanks for God's goodness. Give thanks for God's goodness. Uh, this, this idea is brought up uh, five times in this psalm in verses 1, 8, 15, 21, and 31. Uh, so again, it, that theme is coming up over and over again. Thank you, God, for your goodness. The bottom line that the psalmist is trying to get across is we serve a good God. Do you and I take that for granted? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever sat down and prayed, thank you, God, for your goodness? You know, sometimes uh, when we're raising children, you know, maybe you were taught this growing up that we might say around the dinner table, you know, God is great. God is good. Thank you for this food. 
right? Sometimes the children are, are brought up to uh, be instructed to give that prayer before they eat uh, as a way of giving thanks, a way of training them to give thanks. Do you pray that? Do you pray simply, thank you, God, for being good? Think about that this morning. What if the God that we served was not a good God? What if he was not a benevolent God? What if he was antagonistic towards us? You know, there are times where we might joke sometimes uh, that, you know, we better watch out because maybe a lightning bolt's going to come down and strike us. And again, I know we're, we're joking when we say that. But what if the God of heaven was a God who did that? You know, what if he zapped people for doing wrong? You know, think of back in days when you were quite younger and maybe, you know, you'd get out your microscope or, or, or a magnifying glass and you might, uh, you know, shine it at some ants on a sunny day. Right. Uh, you kids have done that before. Right. And so you do that. And, but think of God uh, in that way. Does, would he get out his magnifying glass and sort of shine that light on you? Well, no. Why? Because we're told here, because God is good. He is good. God uh, is good. And maybe we take advantage of that as well. God is good all the time. Have you heard that before? You know, sometimes we'll start off by saying God is good and then somebody will, will end it all the time. And we often hear those words in life when we're succeeding. Right? I got the job that I wanted. Or I got the good report from the doctor. And we'll say God is good. And someone will say all the time. But do we hear those words during the darker times of our lives when I didn't get that job or when I got a bad report from the doctor? Do we still say God is good? And then someone will say all the time. You know, someone who did say that, you know, someone uh, who could say that, even though everything was going against him, uh, the whole world was crashing down upon him. You remember Job? course in Job chapters 1 and 2 where he's losing everything his children his home his his business just everything is falling down around him his health and he says there in Job chapter 1 verse 21 at the end of the chapter naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there the Lord gave and the Lord take away blessed be the name of the Lord Job said God is good all the time God is good and worthy of our thanksgiving Are you going through a tough time here this morning? Well, when it comes to that, be vocal about it and give thanks to God. You know, again, I mentioned Psalm 105, 106, and 107. When you begin reading those psalms, you're going to notice the psalmist says, be vocal about that. Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak of all his wonders. Psalm 106 begins, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord? Or who can show forth all his praise? You see this over and over again. Uh, He's saying, uh, lift up God in prayer. Praise his name. Sing of those great things. When we're going through those tough times. God is good. Matthew chapter 5 verse 45. Jesus said, the sun rises on the good and the evil. The rain comes down on on the righteous and the unrighteous. Again, the idea is God is good and he is all the time. But do we pray that consistently in our lives? Point two this morning in Psalm 107, the psalmist says, God, is, God should be thanked for his everlasting mercy. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Your translation might say mercy or, or steadfast love or again, loving kindness. But it is eternal, the psalmist says. 
You know, we, we have the idea, I know some Christians might have the idea that, you know, uh, because of uh, some severity of sin that they've uh, had in their lives in their past, in the past, or maybe the, uh, a vice that they just can't seem to get rid of, that they're lost. And there's no hope for them. There's no hope for salvation. You know, they'll say, well, I, I know I should have known better. Or, or, oh, no, I did it again. I just, I just can't beat it. I'm hopeless. Now, we don't deserve God's mercy but the psalmist says his mercy endures forever. A preacher once told us uh, uh, about a man who was a faithful member of the church. And uh, he was, you know, he grew up in the church and he was faithful and he, he got married and started having children. But about that time, he started to uh, quit coming. Right? He, he walked away from the church. He turned his back on God. And eventually, as his children got older, they started to do the same. Well, once their chil- his children were uh, old enough and moved out, uh, the man eventually uh, turned from those uh, things and he came back to the church and he was restored. He asked for forgiveness. But the thing was, is he couldn't bring all his children back. He tried. He, he could get a, a, a couple here, uh, but not all of them would come back. And he was devastated because of it. And he said, he said to that preacher, you know, I just can't expect to go to heaven one day. I think I've sinned too bad. I've messed up too much. And so the preacher asked him, well, why? Why do you still attend church if that's uh, the reason? And he says, because I want my kids. I want my grandkids to make it to heaven. I want to see them uh, see my faithful example today. But as for me, you know, I just, I just don't think I'm going to make it. You know what the problem was with that man's thinking? The father's problem is that he was selling God short. The mercy of God endures forever. And as long as that de- desire remains in you, you can come home. Right? Matter of fact, he wants you back. Think of Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. Right? He's out in, the, uh, in the, the foreign land. He's in this land of sin, uh, a faraway land. And he comes to himself. He knows things are bad here. And so he plans a speech as he's going to come home. And he's going to give this speech to his father. And he's going to ask his father to forgive him. But the father, he sees him in a distance coming home. And he runs to him. He embraces him. His mercy endures forever. Right? He takes him back. Again, think of this. What if God said, I need time to think about it. You know, you've hurt us. You've hurt me. And now you want to come back? Here, why don't we do this? Why don't we ease you back into this and let me think about this and then I'll, I'll give you my thoughts about it later. God's mercy endures forever. Think of the thief on the cross as well. The only thing that he had to offer God in that moment was an apology. And Jesus, what did he say to him? Today you will be with me in paradise. The mercy of God endures forever. Give thanks. God's mercy endures forever. As Daniel read for us a little passage from Psalm 136, that Psalm has 26 verses and they all end the same way. God's mercy endures forever. Don't you think the psalmist there had an idea, a point to get across here in that psalm? God's mercy endures forever. We need to be thankful for that. Thirdly, this morning, we need to be thankful for God's redemption. You know, that word redemption, it simply means to buy back. You know, at one point, something belonged to you, but then maybe you sold it or got rid of it or traded, or, traded it away. But to redeem it, you had to pay a price to get it back. And spiritually speaking, that's the same thing with Christians, right? From, from the time we are conceived up until the point that we uh, sin, that age of accountability, uh, we are innocent. We are fit for the kingdom, uh, Jesus says. 
But at that point of sin, our sin separates us from our God. Right? And now we are under the influence of the prince of this world, of Satan. We're a slave to sin, the Bible says. But Jesus, through his great sacrifice, through his purchase of the church, through his blood that was spilt on the cross of Calvary, gave us, gives us the opportunity to be purchased, to be redeemed, to be bought back. We came at a high price. Again, Psalm 107, verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. Do you give thanks for your redemption this morning? Again, we come at a high price. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Or do you remember what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 19? Uh, Notice what he says here. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 19, Paul writes this. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own? For you have been bought. With a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. To Christians, Paul says, You have been redeemed. You have been bought back. Give thanks for that. But here's, this, here's the point I want to make this morning about this, this idea of, of redemption. You know, it's just not my redemption that I should be thankful for, but it should be the redemption of the people that I love the most. Right, the, the church family. I can, listen, I can appreciate my redemption. I can. But do you know what strengthens for me? The redemption of the people that I would die for. Uh, that I would die in a heartbeat for. You know, I, I think of my wife. I think of uh, my children who have obeyed the gospel. Those who have been redeemed. Back in January of 1982, and... Uh, this was uh, before I was even born, so I don't remember this, but maybe you do. But there was uh, Air, Flight, Air, Florida Flight, excuse me, Air Florida Flight 90. Does this ring a bell? Uh, this happened again in January of 1982. There was a great blizzard that day in Washington, D.C., uh, but uh, the blizzard seemed to uh, substantiate a little bit that they could take off. And so this plane uh, takes off in, in the cold, frigid temperatures uh, of Washington, D.C., but it ends up hitting a bridge and falling, crashing into the Potomac River. Again, maybe you remember this. Maybe you remember seeing the news footage of this, uh, of this Potomac River that was covered in ice, yet this plane crashed into it. And there's video footage of this. You can go to YouTube and watch this. Uh, and this great helicopter rescue where a helicopter comes out into the middle of the river and a man grabs a cable and he gives it to a woman beside him and it pulls her to safety on the shore. And then the helicopter comes back out, drops the cable again to the man, and he gives it to another woman right next to him. Again, the helicopter pulls him, or excuse me, her to safety, to shore. They bring her up. The helicopter makes a third trip out into the middle of the river, drops the cable down, but no one's there. If you recall, the the man drowns in that frigid water. 78 died that day. Only five survived. And of that, that man... He could have saved himself. Actually, two times he could have saved himself. Yet he relinquished the chance to do that, to save the women around him twice. How indebted do you think that family was, those women were, towards that man and maybe his family? How indebted? You know, if someone gave their life for you so that you could live longer, I'd probably feel pretty indebted to them. I'd feel thankful, grateful for that. 
But that is precisely, and when you think about it, that is precisely what God did for you and I, right? He, he bought us, bought us back from Satan. He, he, he lowered that cable through the, uh, the, that ice and brought us out of that sure icy death. And how can I not be thankful for that? How can I not give thanks to God for my redemption and for, for the redemption of those who, um, of my loved ones? So again, the psalmist reminds us here in this psalm that we need to be thankful for God's redemption. And finally, this morning, we'll look at one last point. Uh, look at verses four through six of this psalm. Uh, the psalmist says, they wandered in the wilderness in a d- desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. They, uh, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distress. The final point we want to notice this morning is give thanks to God for his deliverance. You know, God delivered the Jews from Egyptian bondage. And now again, he's doing it once again, this time out of Babylonian captivity. You know, do you view your conversion this morning from that point that you came up out of the waters of baptism as being delivered You know, from wandering in a desert, from wandering in the wilderness to an inhabited city, a place that you could dwell, right? They were were hungry, the psalmist says. They were thirsty. There, There was nothing around to sustain them. But God heard their cries and delivered them out of their distress. Well, how? Well, we're not told specifically, but we know that he did it. And that sounds a lot like providence. The providence of God is something to give thanks for. You know, if it were not for God's providence... Providing, You know, you see the word provide in providence. Where might you and I be this morning? You know, providence is something that you just can't quite put your finger on it, right? God's fingertips are all over it. All the evidence points to God being behind it, but you you just can't say for sure. One of the greatest examples of this is found in this one chapter letter in the New Testament called Philemon. You know, we we don't read Philemon enough, but the, the evidence of... Uh, of God's providence is all throughout this letter. You know, this is this 25 verses uh, of God, God's providential care all over it. Uh, what are the odds? You know, if you're familiar with this letter, uh, it's about uh, Paul writing to this, uh, this man in Colossae by the name of Philemon. And one of his servants, one of his slaves had, had run away from Colossae to Rome where Paul was imprisoned. And what are the odds that Onesimus, this, this man who ran away from Philemon, would make his way you know, 1,200 miles to Rome to where Paul was imprisoned, where Paul converts this man and sends him back to Philemon? And when you read throughout this letter, you know, Paul is encouraging him to take him back as a brother in Christ. But he says in verse 15 of this letter, he says to Philemon, for perhaps... He was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever. You know, Paul says perhaps, right? Because uh, he doesn't know if this was God's uh, doing or not. Uh, a lot of times in life, we just don't know. And we'll have to say perhaps God was behind this, uh, behind this providential care. You know, perhaps you have your own idea or your own example of providence here this morning. You know, maybe you're homesick one day from work. And you get a knock on the door, and it happens to be somebody who, who wants to set up a Bible study with you. And, and you set up a Bible study for them, with them, and you go through the, uh, the, those scriptures, and they teach you the condition that you're in. 
and you obey the gospel and become a Christian, and you're looking back, you think about that day that you know you happened to be sick from work. Was God's providence behind that? Or what about when a new girl, you know, maybe you're, you're, in, a, you're in high school or college and there's this new girl that, that moves into the area, right? Because her dad's job just didn't work out in the other state. And so she moves into the area and you, you get to know her a little bit and come to find out she's a member of the church. And she invites you to services. And again, you, you study with her and her family and you, be, you become a Christian, right? Was God's providence behind that? Was his, was, was his hand working to uh, bring that person into your life? Perhaps. Perhaps. See, our problem is, is that we usually give thanks for the deliverance we see, right? Uh, we think of those examples and we say, you know, that was God's providence and we give thanks for that. Well, what about the things that we don't see? Uh, turn with me, if you would, to Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. And let's notice this passage here real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18, Paul writes this as he's closing out this letter to uh, the, the, Timothy, and he says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Did you catch that first part? He said, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. Do you believe that God is actively delivering you from evil today, right now? You know, there's another verse we often quote, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Right? That's a, a scripture we often point to about providential care. Do you believe that God is actively working in your life to uh, provide for you or to keep you out of those, those evil situations? But what about... Uh, when God delivers us out of those situations, right? We, we, we often pray, God, uh, I need your wisdom and I need your help, your guidance, your strength, your protection at this time. What would happen if God did not deliver you at that time? You know, our lives may have turned a whole nother direction and we don't even know half the things that he does, right? You know, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that there's a spiritual battle going around us, spiritual warfare, things that we just don't see going all around us. And God's actively involved in our lives. God is delivering us from a host of things that we'll never, ever see. And again, this morning, is that something you pray for? Do you often pray that God will grant you deliverance? Do you thank him for that deliverance? Well, again, this, this morning as we conclude our thoughts, you know, again, we're going to finish this up this afternoon. We're going to look at five more reasons to be thankful in Psalm 107. But this morning, again, thankfulness is more, it's more than just good manners, right? It's a lifestyle. It's something that we should be expressing not only to God, but to others, but especially to God, giving God what's due to him, giving God what he expects of us. Of course, the opposite of, of thankfulness is unthankfulness. Or it's ingratitude. You know, we can think of the story of the ten lepers and, and the one who came back to give thanks. Well, what's Jesus' question that he had? Where's the other nine? Right? He expected the other nine to come back to offer their thanks. One more passage that I just want to look at really quickly. If you're still in Second Timothy chapter three, verses one through five, I want you to notice what's smack dab in the middle of this list that Paul's going to say. And I'll try to emphasize it for you. Again, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Paul writes, But realize this, 
that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. You see in that list of things that Paul said, uh, people are going to be brutal and haters of good things and unholy. He lists the ungrateful, the ungrateful. We ought to be people of thanksgiving this morning, a people of gratitude. How can we not give thanks when we have received so much from our creator this morning? Again, his goodness, his eternal mercy, his redemption and his deliverance. Do you want to say thank you to him this morning? You can uh, simply obeying him, obey him this morning. Uh, we know in Matt, or excuse me, Mark chapter 16, verse 16, uh, Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who disbelieves shall be condemned. If there's anyone here this morning who's ready to put Christ on in baptism, we would love the opportunity to, to serve you, uh, to help you to begin your walk as a Christian. Or maybe this morning uh, you want to offer him thanks, return to him. Uh, maybe you've been unfaithful to the Lord and you're ready to come back to him. Return to him this morning like, like the prodigal son who, who came back, who made up his mind to come back. Uh, or maybe uh, as we offer the invitation as well, maybe there are some who need the encouragement and strength of the congregation here who need our, our prayers uh, to offer them. Or maybe you simply just want to give thanks. Again, this is no better time to do that right now in front of your brothers and sisters in Christ as together we stand and sing.